This is Olashior on Manasseh, the king of Judea. And we finish learning what's written about him in the book of Kings, Kings 2, chapter 21. We saw an evil king, so evil that his 55-year uh, rule over Judea is what brought on the eventual destruction and exile of Judea. Not that it's going to happen tomorrow, but the decree has been set down by the prophets. And now, like we often do when uh, we're learning about the kings of Judea, we want to take a dive into the book of Chronicles to get a little more information. And what's written about Menashe in Chronicles is Chronicles 2, chapter 33. And if you go to chapter Chronicles 2, chapter 33, at the beginning, you get a pretty parallel narrative of what's going on in Kings. Menashe is sinning left and right. But then, starting in verse 11, okay, in, in Chronicles chapter 33, we get a big surprise. I'm going to read this. And the Lord spoke to Menashe and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Menashe prisoner. They took him prisoner. They put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and they took him to Babylon. So this is an event that wasn't mentioned in the book of Kings. Menashe is taken prisoner by the Assyrians. We're not talking about a Horban Bayat, a destruction of Judea. This is not an attack against Judea. It's just the Assyrians punishing him and humiliating Menashe individually. Now listen to what happens next. It says like this, Umatzerlo. And from the Tzuris, Hitzerlo, from his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And he prayed to him. And the Lord was moved by his prayer and listened to his plea. So he brought Menashe back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then it says, And Menashe knew that the Lord is God. Hashem Elohim. That's what it says. Menashe came to the realization, the realization, Hashem Elohim, that the Lord is God. So here, believe it or not, Menashe did tshuva here. And then in Chronicles, it's going to describe, as we go on, some positive actions he actually takes in Judea. He says he built the outer wall of the city of David and all kinds of things he built. And then it says here in verse 15, and he got rid of the foreign gods. He removed the image from the temple of the Lord. That is the tselem he put in, that tselem and the hechel. The tselem he put in the temple, he removed it. And he removed the altars he had built, those foreign altars we saw. He took them out and he threw them out of the city and he restored the altar of Hashem. He, he restored what should be in the Beit HaMikdash, brought it back and the people um, uh, offered uh, offerings and so forth. And he told Judah to serve Lord, the God of Israel. So this is pretty unbelievable after what we learned in Kings. And it's pretty impressive that Menashe is doing good. So let's look a little bit now what it says in the Talmud about this. Now, remember, all this happened after his traumatic experience. That's when he started to be a repentant. He had this traumatic experience of being taken prisoner and humiliated in Babylon. And then we see... In Chronicles, that he repents from that. So uh, in Masechet Sanhedrin 101, they discuss in these pages how suffering could be a good thing for a person. Chavivi surim, they say. That suffering can sometimes be good because it brings you closer to Hashem. And they bring the example of Menashe. And it says the following in Sanhedrin 101. It brings a verse in Proverbs. These are the Proverbs, Proverbs of Shlomo, that Mishle. 
which the men of Chizkiel, king of Judea, copied. So we see here that in Mishlei, the book of Solomon, it mentions Chizkiel, that Chizkiel copied some of the book of Mishlei. So it says in the Gemara like this, that Chizkiel taught Torah and disseminated to the multitudes. We know that Chizkiel was the type of king, he made his co-kingdom from and religious. So it says, it is, is it conceivable that Chizkiel, king of Judea, who taught Torah to the entire world, and to Menashe, his son, he didn't teach Torah? Rather, Chizkiel taught Menashe lots of Torah. Nevertheless, from all the exertion of Chizkiel to teach his son Torah, and from all his toil to teach him Torah, it was only Yisurim that elevated Menashe, afflictions and suffering that elevated Menashe to the path of good. And then it brings up verses in Chronicles that the Lord took him and the captains of the army of the king of Assyria took him with hooks and bound him with chains and so forth. That is, that's the point when he started to do tshuva. Because after he was taken prisoner and he was in distress, we saw he beseeches the Lord. So um, we learn from this that afflictions are cherished. Chaviv Yisurim. That's what it says in the Gemara, that it's the, it's the suffering that often brings the person back. Because suffering and humiliation here, we see that Menashe endured, did bring him to repentance. And the idea here of the Gemara is that, you know, if you don't uh, have any problems in life, you kind of get complacent in your praying and your relationship to Hashem kind of stagnates. And then when you got some real problems and Surah said that you really have to pray for something, all of a sudden our praying becomes much stronger. We have much more kavanah in our praying. And that's what happened to Menashe. Now the question you might be asking is, wait a minute, wait a minute. If he did tshuva, according to Chronicles, why is Menashe still included as one of the three kings who has no share in the world to come? Remember, we said there are three kings, Yeruvah Menavat, Achav and Menashe, who have no share in the world to come. So actually, there is a machloket in the Talmud. If Menashe has a portion in the world to come or not. It's written in Tractate Sanhedrin 101, the following. Rabbi Yehuda says, Menashe has a share in the world to come. And then Rabbi Yehuda brings the verse we read in Chronicles. And he prayed to Hashem and entreated of Hashem. And Hashem heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem unto his kingdom. So we saw those verses that Menashe was in captivity. He prayed to Hashem. Hashem brought him back to Jerusalem. And that's where Rabbi Yehuda thinks that Menashe has a place in the world to come. But Rabbi Yochanan disagrees and says he does not have a place in the world to come. And he brings a verse from Yermiao uh, in the prophet Jeremiah's prophecies. In chapter 15, it says the following, That I will make the Jews of Jerusalem a horror. It's for all the kings of the earth. Biglal Menashe ben Chizkiyahu, on account of Menashe, son of Chizkiyahu. So that verse, according to uh, Rabbi Yochanan, means that Menashe is not being forgiven. Now Rabbi Yehuda explains it. What do you mean, Biglal Menashe ben Chizkiyahu? On account of Menashe ben Chizkiyahu, Jerusalem will become a zvah. They will become a, a horror show. It means that the Jewish people will be punished with exile. So even if the wicked Menashe repented, the people of Judea did not. So according to uh, Rabbi Yehuda, the problem with Menashe, even though he seemed to do tshuva there, we saw that, but he's a chotel machti. He's not just a personal sinner. He was the king. He made other people sin. He caused Judea to sin as well. So even if he does tshuva, 
What about all the other people he messed up in those 55 years of pagan reign, pagan a paganism that he brought into Judea? How do you fix that? So since Menashe caused others to sin and they remain sinners, they didn't do tshuva, well, that's on Menashe. And so Rabbi Yehuda holds that, yeah, Menashe may have personally repented, but the people did not, so he's accountable for that. Now then Rabbi Yochanan fires back and he's defending Menashe and he says he does have a share in the world to come. And he continues and says the following, anyone who says that Menashe has no share in the world to come discourages penitence. So Rav Yochanan is saying, if you start saying he doesn't, he can't do tshuva, then it's going to discourage other people who want to do tshuva. And uh, if you say he's ex excluded from the world to come, you're shutting the door on other sinners who might want to repent. And so uh, that's a problem. We want to think it's never too late for tshuva or repentance. And if we say Menashe's tshuva didn't help him, again, you're breaking those people who sin really badly and are trying to lift themselves up. Now, Rabbi Yochanan is going to explain how Menashe actually got into the next world. He says Menashe is a place in the world to come. Okay, Rabbi Yochanan is going to explain how it happened. And he says in the name of Shimon Bar Yochai, they bring a verse in Chronicles. It says that Menashe prayed to Hashem and Hashem heard his pleadings. But the word for pray here, or to entreat, v'yater, it doesn't say v'yater, it says v'yachtor. And yachtor means that he made an opening. What does it mean he made an opening? And this is a drush, it's not the pshat. But because the word is a little bit different from the word to open, lachtor is like to dig. It teaches us that the Holy One, blessed be he, crafted for him a, an opening in heaven in order to accept him in repentance. So Menashe entered the world to come in a clandestine manner, kind of a secret way, because it says the angels and the attribute of justice were trying to block his entry into the next world. All right? And here's one more source uh, regarding the process of Menashe's tshuva. It says the following. Rabbi Levi said, and now we get into the, the details of what the Assyrians did to him. The Assyrians, when they put him in ca captivity, they filled a copper cauldron and placed Menashe in it and they lit a fire under it. And when he saw his plight, Menashe, he called out to every idol, every idol and deity he called out to. And when none assisted him, he said, I remember my father read me a verse in the show that when you're in distress, there's a verse, and he brings a verse from Deuteronomy uh, chapter four, that Hashem will listen to you, he will not fail you or destroy you. So Menashe says, if I cry out to God and he listens to me, that's great. If not, then all the gods are alike. There's no difference. And at that point, the angels barricaded the windows of heaven and they said, the prayers of Menashe should not ascend to God because these prayers aren't genuine. He's just taking you as like a last resort. They said, Lord of the world, are you going to let this guy who worshiped idols and makes this kind of pleading, you're going to let him off the hook? And then God replied, if I don't accept the penitence of this man, I will be closing the door in the face of all the sinners who want to repent. So it says, in, and this is in the Yerushalmi Sanhedrin 10. Again, Talmud Yerushalmi, Masech Sanhedrin, page 10, that God made a small opening under the throne of his glory. He made a little opening and received the prayer of Menashe. So according to this, Rav Yochanan is right. Menashe gets into the next world through the back door, so to speak, but he kind of gets there. Now we still have to ask though, if Menashe repented, 
in one fashion or another, then why is the imminent destruction of Jerusalem and the temple on him? I mean, forget about all the, the stories I just brought from the Talmud. Just look at the verses in Chronicles. He knew Hashem, he removed the idols, and so forth. He did tshuva. So why did destruction stick? I mean, if he sincerely repented, shouldn't have the decree of destruction been reversed? Well, Rav Ariel, in his book, Mikdash Melech, he, he gets into the subject a little bit, and he explains that the intensity of Menashe's tshuva wasn't nearly as strong as the intensity of his sinning. First of all, we see that his son Amon continued sinning without missing a beat. We're going to learn about him in our next shiur. Amon was even worse than his father Menashe. The only good thing about him is that he lasted for two years, so he couldn't do as much damage. But there's no carryover for Menashe Tshuva. You don't see a carryover. Uh, we know there's still a lot of paganism going on in Jerusalem after Amon. How do we know that? Because we're going to learn about Yoshiao, the next king after Amon. He is going to go on a, a, a zealous campaign to wipe out the idols from Judea. And those idols were not just not just from Ammon, they were obviously also left over from the days of Menashe. So Menashe's tshuva, it just wasn't that great. Did he, did he strive to bring the people back to Hashem? Did he try to repair all the souls he messed up? Uh, he was the king, he was Mahdi, he was dictating the tone spiritually. Okay, it says he burned the Asherah. It's easy to burn the physical idols. The question is if he burned out the idea out of their hearts, the idea of idol worship, of paganism, did he do that? Doesn't look like he did. They sure continued strong in their pagan ways after Menashe. So on the individual level, yeah, he might've repented, but it wasn't a sweeping tshuva. Uh, it certainly didn't bring the people back to Hashem as we're gonna see going forward. And the very fact, again, that his son Amon continued sinning and, bre and he brought Judea to new levels of sin. We're gonna see that. He's just building on the damage his father did. So all this points to the direction that Menashe's tshuva was kind of on a superficial level. And it said that in the Talmud Yerushalmi, the last uh, Agada that we read, that when did he call out to Hashem? After he was in distress, after he cried out to every single idol, then he went to Hashem, he turned to Hashem because everything else failed him. Now, one other issue to address is the differences, again, between Kings and Chronicles. I mean, we asked the question here, why did Kings, the Book of Kings, our book, leave out this whole episode of Menashe's repentance? We see nothing about his captivity or suffering. We see nothing about his tshuva. I mean, the differences between Chronicles and Kings are pretty radical. Um, Malachim, the Book of Kings, it presents Menashe as irreparably devoted to idolatry and murder, whose evil ways seal the fate of Jerusalem. You get nothing good about him. But in Devray Amim, what we read in Chronicles today, Menashe's idolatry is like a passing thing. You know, he repents, he restores Jerusalem to monotheism. It sounds that way. And in Malachim, we had nothing of the Assyrian aggression against Menashe and the incarceration of Menashe, none of that. So the answer lies really in the very different agendas of Book of Kings and the Book of Chronicles. The Book of Kings, it's more about the historical process. It's a prophetic work, not a history book that records each and every detail. So the Book of Kings isn't, isn't really that interested in the character of Menashe or to present, to present him in a more sympathetic manner. It looks to condemn, the opposite, it looks to condemn Menashe for his idolatry in the harshest terms because he brought upon the Chorban, the destruction. And that's the focus of, uh, 
of the book of Kings, if you talk about his repentance in the book of Kings, that will just obscure, obscure the message. The book of Kings wants to bring the message clearly that these kings attributed, uh, they are the ones who caused the destruction of the temple and the national exile and uh, the idolatry that Menashe was steeped in. He was leading the way. And so anything dealing with repentance would kind of be off topic. So while Melachim chooses to censor Menashe's repentance in favor of the uh, idolatry focus, um, yeah, he repented in later days. But the damage was so extreme. The influx of idolatry into his kingdom was so prevalent, so pervasive that despite his later attempts at rehabilitation, we saw that in Chronicles, he, he tried. It was an uncurable situation that he created. It was like too little, too late. He contaminated the kingdom irreparably. And so Malachim just ignores the whole episode of his repentance late in his life. And they present uh, the historic legacy that he brought about the Chorban. That's what matters. And uh, they're not going to talk about some personal stuff as part of his biography. Now, the philosophy of Devrei Amim, Chronicles, on the other hand, they reflect on other things. Remember, Devrei Amim is written by Ezra. It's a second temple book. It was written at times of the second temple. Watch afterwards. And it focuses on repentance and other issues. And we'll stop here.